Hey, good morning, everybody. This is a Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, we've got an early one today. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about, let me get this right, these speaking events that I've got coming up. We've got the uh, May 22nd, which is this Saturday. That is, we got this speaker, uh, we got this movement speaker summit, which I will be talking, uh, speaking in that one. Uh, it's a paid event. All of the links for that will be available in the description of this. Uh, use my link uh, for tickets if you want to get one. Uh, that way, it tracks who I've you know who I've sent or who's come from you know my direction. The next one is June fifth through sixth, and that is the Back from Broken Virtual Summit. And that is about exactly what it is. It's about comeback stories. We got a bunch of good speakers, motivational speakers in there talking about, you know, their journey coming back from broken. Uh, this podcast was, was really started on comeback stories when I first started it. And uh, it's kind of ventured off into um, a couple of different lanes, but, you know, it's still at the base of it. I talk about, you know, bottoms and life struggles and how my guests have gotten through them. Uh, you know, nowhere to go but up. We can definitely see a lot of different things in this world where we are at a place where there's really nowhere to go but up. You know, I feel like we're at the bottom in a lot of areas in, in, in society and life right now. Um, so, yeah, all of that is coming, and I'd appreciate it uh, if you would stop through and check me out. The virtual, the the June 5th and 6th one, that's actually free. There's 250 tickets available, so... I would get over there and grab your ticket now because I'm pretty much been promoting this for the last week, but they haven't gone heavy into promoting yet. So you can still get tickets now. Uh, let's see if you're watching this on YouTube, do me a favor, uh, hit thumbs the video up and subscribe, hit that little bell ding. So you can uh, be notified when, when I uh, do a live stream, uh, Facebook, same thing, uh, like, and share this. The algorithm is not very nice to us content creators if we're not paying them to advertise. So I depend on you, the listener, to uh, share this if you if you like. Uh, today's subject is a touchy one, um, you know, but I think that we, as a content creator and somebody who uh, listens to a lot of different alternative media, um, I think that I owe it to my listeners to give them both sides of this story. Um, and, you know, I, I will have somebody on, on the opposite side as well at some point to give their perspective. But first, we are we talking to Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, who is a medical researcher. He's got a distinguished, um, a distinguished resume, if you will. Uh, you can look in the, in the description and see what his credentials are. And he's also, I'm going to ask him to uh, state that before and, and what qualifies him to be able to talk about this. So we'll be back after these messages. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a long-time methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. 
If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Good morning, Dr. Hershorn. How are you? Hi there. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you too. Thanks for uh, coming early. Uh, I don't know. Are you on the East Coast? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Well, it's early for me. It's uh, eleven <laughs> o'clock for you. Um, so yeah, uh, let's let's get right into what we're going to be talking about. You wrote a book um, called Pandemic Blunder, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory from the the. Uh, <laughs> from the title. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and, and, uh, qualify yourself as to, you know, how, how are you qualified to be able to speak about these, this event? Okay. Well, uh, after I got a, a PhD, I became a professor at the university of Wisconsin, Madison. And, uh, one of the big things I did there was I managed a, uh, a research project between the medical school and the engineering college. And uh, it was a very uh, intensive effort for a number of years and uh, pretty successful actually working with orthopedic surgeons. And uh, from there, I went to a senior position at the uh, US Congress, the Office of Technology Assessment. And I directed a lot of studies there for House and Senate committees uh, that were health related. And I testified over 50 times as an expert, a trusted expert, in front of Senate and House committee hearings. Uh, after that, I became a senior official at the National Governors Association, which is like the trade association for all the state governors. And again, I directed studies that were health-related. Uh, uh, since leaving sort of that professional realm and retiring, I've worked at a major hospital, Johns Hopkins Hospital as an executive volunteer and uh, active in a number of uh, medical groups, health-related uh, groups. So, and, and once the pandemic began, <laughs> I can read the scientific literature, I can read the medical literature. So I began to get uh, really intrigued uh, by the nature of the pandemic. And the more I learned about the pandemic, <laughs> the more I realized, as I thought as an objective uh, person following the science, I might emphasize, that there was a huge uh, kind of corruption going on, uh, a huge mistake, which now I call it a blunder, uh, because what I discovered was that going back to March of 2020, so that's over a year ago, we had some very smart, courageous uh, physicians who had discovered that there was a cure for the COVID infection. Um, and they were using it uh, back in March of 2020. And uh, the, the first man, doctor who became pretty famous in some quarters, Dr. Zelenko uh, out of New York. In fact, he wrote the foreword for my book, Pandemic Blunder. And Dr. Zelenko had discovered, based on uh, research in France, 
that he uh, had a kind of cocktail which was based on the use of a very cheap generic drug called hydroxychloroquine. And uh, he was a community doctor, actually with a lot of very elderly uh, patients who were coming down very seriously with COVID, very serious symptoms. And using his cocktail, uh, he was curing these people. I mean, really curing them. So that virtually none of his patients, and he had a lot of them, uh, had to go to the hospital. So I got intrigued <laughs> following that line of thinking that there was a treatment approach to cure, and later we found out also prevent COVID infection. And once uh, Zelenko did what he did, other uh, doctors, uh, a wonderful doctor in California, George Fareed, uh, one of my favorites, uh, a bunch of other doctors started to pick up on what Zelenko had done and a guy in France had done. And they all started uh, to use, but not a large number of these doctors. They were relatively a small number, but they were curing their patients. And that, that to me, through what we now call treatment, and I want to emphasize the word treatment, and it was early, what we call early home treatment. What Zelenko, his, what they call the Zelenko cocktail, it only worked if it was given to people within the first several days of people getting infected with symptoms or having a positive test result. Because the, the COVID uh, disease, let's call it that, it goes through various stages in the human body. And the first stage is called replication. It's where the virus really replicates and multiplies in a person's body. If you can stop the COVID disease in that first stage, then you, it, you don't go on to get serious problems with your lungs or other parts of your body. And the, the purpose that, that Zelenko had in mind was to keep his patients out of the hospital. And that really caught my attention, uh, out of the hospital. And that was happening in California with uh, George Fareed and, and some of his colleagues also. They were all successful. And then later, uh, a doctor in Texas, a very famous doctor, actually, uh, Peter McCullough, also uh, joined the bandwagon, you might say. And for early home or not just home treatment, but uh, outpatient treatment. So it was all designed to keep people healthy and cure them of, of the COVID disease and keep them out of the hospital. Because remember what happened early in the pandemic. You had Fauci and all these other people in the government screaming about that hospitals were going to be overwhelmed, okay? And some of them, many of them were overwhelmed. But the reason they were overwhelmed was because this early home treatment uh, was not being promoted. And in fact, what happened several months into the pandemic, uh, Dr. Fauci at the National Institutes of Health uh, who's a very powerful person, uh, actually created uh, a, a block, a barrier to using this early home treatment approach. So a guidance was issued from NIH and from FDA, and it effectively has, since several months into the pandemic, has effectively blocked wide use of the treatment protocols. Uh, now we have even more than the Zelenko protocol. We have uh, these same small group of doctors, uh, not just using hydroxychloroquine, but they discovered another cheap generic. And I want to emphasize hydroxychloroquine 
which became kind of famous for a, a bad reason uh, when uh, President Trump took it. But, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine had been around for 50 or 60 years, a totally safe, a widely used drug around the world because it's used to prevent malaria. And then, but later what happened was they discovered another cheap generic, a drug called ivermectin, which also had decades of safe use, uh, fully approved. And, uh, but what Fauci did was to block use of, again, the treatment approach. And so what became sort of uh, the media picked up on was treating people in the hospital. But you have to, re I want to emphasize, once people got ill enough to require hospitalization, things, you know, turned a nasty corner. Once you got so sick that you require treatment in a hospital, that was a different kind of treatment. You know, people had to be put on these machines, had to be given oxygen. And, and then Fauci started to push an extremely expensive drug called remdesivir, which would cost like upwards of $5,000 a dose. Uh, so when I talk about the pandemic blunder, I want to emphasize what I'm talking about is the huge blunder by the government, the biggest mistake imaginable in the pandemic, was to block the use of these cheap treatment protocols, early treatment protocols that would kill the disease, cure it, right in its tracks. If you gave it within the first three, four, five, maybe even seven days, you could keep people healthy and you could keep them out of the hospital. And so now you have to start to think, why would the government block something that was so successful uh, by a number of doctors from coast to coast and a wonderful doctor in France, Dr. Didier also, uh, and then other doctors around the world started to also use uh, these protocols based uh, at the beginning on hydroxychloroquine and then later uh, more dominantly based on ivermectin. And both of these, by the way, <laughs> the great doctors in California and others around the country are still prescribing uh, hydroxy and ivermectin, but they're hard to get. They do require a prescription, although around the world, by the way, they were available over the counter in many, many countries. Uh, that's how old and safe they were. Uh, so that's the story that I tell in my book. And my book is about the science of the pandemic, but also about the sort of politics of the pandemic, because the politics got in the way of saving lives. And uh, let me give you a number, because we're approaching 600,000 official COVID deaths of Americans, okay? Nearly 600,000 now. If we had used the early treatment protocols, we would have saved, and in my book, I, I go into the details on this, at least 70 to 80% of these deaths would have been prevented. And now Dr. McCullough, who's the, maybe the most famous doctor in the pandemic area out of Texas, he's, he's raised that, my estimate, from 70 to 80%. He's raised it up to 85%. So what does that mean? It means as we approached 600,000 dead Americans from COVID, we could have prevented something like 500,000 of those COVID deaths. Now, you got to think about that. How would a country as smart as the U.S., as advanced as the U.S., avoid using a medical solution 
that would have saved 70, 80, 85% of the pandemic deaths. And that's what I want people to understand because by the way, I looked at the data yesterday and believe it or not, even with the use of the vaccines, and we can talk about vaccines if you'd like, but every month, 15,000 Americans are still dying from COVID. So 70, 80, 85% of those deaths should be prevented. Nobody actually, hardly anyone should be dying of COVID. It should be a rare exception if we were practicing good medicine uh, that anyone would be dying from, from COVID. And yet around the world, over I think 3 million people have died from COVID. And uh, so we haven't had enough uh, uh, global use of these uh, early treatment protocols. And by the way, one reason they haven't been used a lot enough around the world is because people have picked up on what Fauci and NIH and the federal government have done in blocking the early treatment protocols. So people always look to the U.S. and, you know, they emulate the U.S. They follow what the, the U.S. health system does. And that's been a very unfortunate situation. I've written a, every week or so I publish a, a new article since the book has come out. And I recently got into great depth about India. If you follow the mainstream news, you've heard about all these horror stories about the pandemic in India. And I can, uh, there's, a, there's a very interesting story about what's really going on in India. Uh, if you want, we can, we can talk about that. That's up to you. But again, uh, there was a, a, some very successful use of the early treatment protocols uh, in India, uh, but only in one. Uh, India has a, has a state system like the U.S., but a much smaller number of states. And the largest state in India is almost the size of the U.S. You know, the population in India is 1.4 billion people. So it's a huge country. I actually have spent time in India. I know a fair amount about it. Uh, anyway, so I've just given you a sort of quick overview of uh, what the book is about and where my thinking is. Uh, I, I blame the government a lot uh, for... Uh, causing unnecessary deaths, basically. And uh, it's crazy. Uh, the first chapter in my book, the first part of the book, by the way, I go into the history of medicine. And one of the things I always like to educate people about in the entire history of medicine, you know, you've heard about first do no harm. That's the moral imperative for physicians. First do no harm. What that also means, a sort of corollary of that is Doctors are supposed to take fast, quick action so that they help their patients as soon as a patient gets ill with any kind of illness or disease. So quick action is the hallmark of moral, let's call it moral, ethical, uh, medical practice. And when Fauci and the government blocked early treatment, they were doing something totally contrary to the history of medicine. So people were getting sick in the U.S. in the last year or so, and they were not being treated early, and they were getting so sick, yes, they had to go to hospitals. And most people who have died, hundreds of thousands, have died in hospitals. And of course, the most vulnerable were the elderly people, because one of the things that was quickly learned, and Zelenko knew this early, very early on in March of 2020, 
is that elderly people had what they call comorbidities. They had other diseases. They had heart conditions. They had lung problems. They had, you know, all kinds of sicknesses. Obesity is, is a big comorbidity. And that's why elderly people became extremely vulnerable uh, to the COVID disease. Again, if they weren't treated quickly, going into hospitals, where so many of them would die. Uh, it's a very sad story that, you know, this, this pandemic, when if there's any honest history ever written about it, uh, people will scratch their heads and say, how did we kill half a million people unnecessarily because we blocked uh, a valid treatment approach? That's my story, and I'll stick with it. And because, of, by the way, all the evidence since I wrote the book, a few months ago, and since the book has come out uh, a couple of months ago, everything I've said and predicted in the book has come true. Everything. I have, I've gotten it 100% correct. <laughs> and uh, so I, that's my story. So thank you. My question is, oh, there's that damn echo again. Um, it's, quiet. it's quiet here. <laughs> No, it's it's picking up the echo of your of your speakers uh, on your laptop. Oh, I see. Do you have Do you happen to have any? Uh... I'm low tech. I don't. All right, so maybe maybe just turn it down a little bit so you can still hear me, but it's not loud enough to to pick up. Um, but the question that I have is, what does that look like when you say blocked uh, early home treatment? What does that look like? Okay, what 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 they did at uh, Fauci did at NIH and FDA, they issued guidance to to the medical world, to the medical community, and that their guidance says we do not approve <laughs> any of these treatment protocols. They don't approve the use of hydroxychloroquine. They really uh, don't approve the use of ivermectin. So they issued official federal government guidance. And once that guidance was issued, okay, the entire medical world of hospitals, healthcare organizations, and physicians could not, if they wanted to follow the sort of law, you know, they couldn't use these treatment protocols. And, uh, and that, so it, it became, now, were doctors disobeying? Yes, uh, Zelenko, Farid, McCullough, others were violating the guidance, okay? And by the way, in some states, uh, state authorities felt that they had to obey the federal guidance and they were threatening to take away the licenses of physicians who were prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to their patients. This is crazy stuff, but and it's still that guidance blocking early home treatment is still there. It's still in effect. OK. And what's so strange <laughs> um, is because, you know, now the government, as you know, uh, in the last many months now, three or four months or more, they've been pushing COVID vaccines. And, and, and what I want to say is I, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were fully and the word is very important, were fully approved drugs approved by the FDA. The COVID vaccines, which now are being pushed so heavily 
by President Biden and everyone else almost out there, they are not fully approved by the Food and Drug Administration. They, in fact, the vaccines are rightly called experimental. They are not fully approved. <laughs> so we have this interesting paradox almost that the generic drugs, which are ultra cheap, <laughs> are being blocked and they are approved drugs. And the vaccines, which are not fully approved, but are only given under what they call an emergency use authorization, they are not fully approved. But the, the vaccines are being pushed. And as Dr. McCullough has recently talked about in a number of venues, this push on using vaccines has even made it more difficult for the medical world to pursue the use of the treatment medicines, the gen cheap generics. Uh, they're still being used by some doctors. And I can, in my book, I tell the readers how they can get access because if you go to your, your ordinary physician, I went to my <laughs> primary care physician at one point. I said, will you prescribe me uh, some hydroxychloroquine? I do research in this area and uh, I'd like to get some. He sort of laughed at me and said, no, we, we can't prescribe that for you. Most doctors will not prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Now there are ways to get it. And there are two, uh, particularly two websites that I describe in my book. Uh, where you can go to and you can go through a procedure and you can get your uh, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or both. And uh, so there are ways to get it in the United States. Uh, but that's the situation right now. A world in which people are being pushed uh, to use the vaccines. And by the way, I'll be honest with you. I took the vaccine early on because I'm 81 and I have a serious heart condition, okay? I probably wouldn't take it today knowing what I now know about the vaccine. And I'm just finishing a new article, in fact, uh, today or tomorrow I'll finish it because there is a wealth of medical data and a lot of physicians around the world uh, who have very negative views about the COVID vaccines uh, and the potential uh, immediate and longer term uh, side effects uh, of taking these vaccines. So that's another part of the blunder syndrome is not only do we still block what we know works. And by the way, my book is filled with all kinds of data from around the world showing that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin really work. In fact, they work <laughs> to a greater degree than the vaccines work. Okay. They're even better than the vaccines. Uh, and yet the government is blocking those and pushing actually through coercion and through uh, all kinds of awful uh, activities, trying to push people to, to, to get the vaccines. And I, from a medical point of view, what I want to emphasize, we have about 100 million Americans who've, got, who've already gotten COVID infection. Most of them were asymptomatic. Most of them did not have serious uh, problems. But once you got uh, the infection, you developed immunity to COVID, okay? So we have probably upwards of 100 million Americans who have what we might call natural immunity. 
And then the issue arises, if you already have immunity, why would you take one of these experimental vaccines? The only purpose of the vaccines is to give you immunity. They actually don't even destroy the virus in your body. <laughs> and this is what's funny. If you uh, follow the language of the federal government very carefully, they don't say that taking the vaccine will kill the virus or prevent you from getting the virus. The, the government only says that if you take a vaccine, you won't get seriously ill from COVID and you won't die, they say statistically. Well, people are getting COVID, even those fully uh, vaccinated. Uh, and even if you are fully vaccinated, you can still have enough uh, uh, virus in your body that you can transmit it to other people. So there are all these interesting issues and problems uh, with the vaccines, and they have crowded out uh, any attention that many I was trying to give through my book to the treatment protocols, okay? So that's the situation we're in today. Uh, hardly any, in the media, I have to say this, the mainstream and corporate media, social media, <laughs> they, have, they have played a terrible role in this pandemic blunder, okay? The, the mainstream media has refused to give accurate, valid information on these cheap, proven, effective, generic medicines, okay? And uh, they have followed whatever Fauci was saying in the last year. And I think Fauci has been wrong on just about everything, okay? But the mainstream media basically has worshiped Fauci and, and created this sort of godlike image of this man. And uh, he doesn't deserve it. I, I mean, I, I'm, uh, uh, my book presents a very strong case uh, against Fauci and all the things he has done and all the things that haven't worked. By the way, we have a ton of scientific data that has shown for many months that ma ma masking doesn't really work, that lockdowns don't work, that all the things that the government was pushing in the last year that destroyed the American economy and destroyed American lives and we've lost something like 100,000 small businesses in the United States because of lockdowns, okay? And all the quarantines and all the other things, and school closings, that's even the most, the craziest thing of all. Children, and, and the data from CDC and the government show that children do not suffer from COVID-19. And so, you have to ask yourself if children don't even have any bad side effects or any effects from 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 COVID itself, uh, why would the government now, the the federal government, has is now pushing giving vaccines to children? Of all the crazy things I've seen this year, <laughs> the craziest of all, I think right now, is is pushing vaccines onto young children. And now you have parents in this awful situation. They want to get their kids back into the classroom. But they, if they are reasonably informed, they ought to question whether they want to put 
these vaccines, which by the way, these vaccines are genetically engineered. They are novel, crazy sorts of new vaccines. Never had anything like these vaccines before, okay? Why would you want to give them to children who don't need the immunity from these vaccines? So everything going on, and as the as, as things keep progressing in the last several months, uh, the whole thing gets crazier and crazier. I mean, uh, people like me who follow this extremely closely, you know, it's like we, tr- we keep trying to get good information out to the public, but I can't get my information out through mainstream media or social media. It, it's people like me, we're locked out. Of, of those big media channels, okay, let's call them. Um, can't do it. People have been wondering how my book has stayed up on Amazon, but <laughs> thank God <laughs> it has uh, stayed up on Amazon and, uh, and the reviews are very good. Uh, I've had nothing but great feedback on the book. And, uh, but that's the situation. Trying to, I mean, you know, people say, why did I write the book? I wrote the book to save lives, to help get better information out to the public. And I'm still working on that, promoting the book and writing new articles because every day I spend hours reading new articles and and scientific papers because it's just an incredible amount of information coming out from all over the world. It's hard to follow. I'm sympathetic to ordinary people. How How can they get access to the good information, and then how can they follow it, depending on their education, they may not find it easy to follow. By the way, I wrote my book so that an ordinary person can read it very easily. I've had a lot of people tell me they can read it in one night, and uh, I wrote it, uh, you know, I was a professor. Uh, I've written, I think, three or four other nonfiction books before this one, so I know how to write. Uh, and I wrote the book to be easily read by ordinary people, even though it's packed with data and uh, detailed information. Uh, that's uh, this is driving me nuts, that echo. Um, so the question I would have for you next is, um, why are doctors on, on two sides of the fence here? You know, if it's actual data and these are, are you know, published, you know, uh, physicians and experts in their fields and, you know, highly respected. I remember watching a, a, uh, a Senate hearing with Dr. Yes. Corey, I can't, yes. Corey Booker. No, Dr. Corey. Yes. Okay. Dr. Corey. And he was telling this to these, uh, to these senators in this hearing. And he said the exact same thing. And he actually quoted a study from Argentina yeah. Do you know? Do you know which one that is? Well, there's so many studies. I can. T- he pushes ivermectin, mm-hmm. and he was talking about a study on the use of ivermectin in South America. And uh, ivermectin uh, has been widely used around the world. It became more, uh, let's say, favored by doctors around the world because of the bad press that hydroxychloroquine got. Okay, so ivermectin it's a, it works a little differently in the body. But it's the same theory. And by the way, the data, yes. My book is filled with these studies, uh, not just from Argentina. I, I mean, studies from many countries. Uh, we've had terrific studies on ivermectin. 
And there are websites, which I describe uh, in my book. You can go to these websites and you can get access to all the data from all these studies. If you want on ivermectin, if you want on hydroxychloroquine, those websites are up and running all the time and they're constantly updated. Uh, yes, Dr. Corey, he has uh, been the chief advocate, let's say, for the use of ivermectin. And he's the head of a, a one group of, uh, of physicians that's out there. There are three groups actually of doctors. Now you say, are there doctors who don't follow this? Um, well, we got to remember, doctors sort of are, are, are sort of legally obligated to follow what the federal government dictates. And that guidance from NIH and FDA is very powerful. And so ordinary doctors, first off, ordinary doctors don't have the time to research this and uh, to, to really get into all the data. So we have a minority of doctors. The, the two organizations that I'm a member of, uh, America's Frontline Doctors and the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, those two groups represent many, many physicians uh, around the country uh, who agree with everything that, I'm, you know, that I've said here today and what's in my book. But the majority of American doctors are not independent doctors, okay? They work for uh, medical organizations. And those organizations feel legally obligated to follow what the federal government dictates. And, and so we can't, you know, you, you might say, can you get some doctors on your show? Yes, there's one famous one, I won't even give his name, from a certain uh, university, uh, who's the, uh, the guy who's on MSNBC and CNN all the time, uh, because he's a guy who doesn't agree with everything that I've said. So you can find doctors, who, uh, uh, but there are, the, Harvey Reich is a professor at Yale University. And I quote him a lot in my book. Uh, he's again, one of these fabulous, he's a physician and epidemiologist in Yale University. He would agree with everything I've said, okay? so. Is there a division in the medical community? Yes, there is. And I think those who really know their stuff and are honest and are not just sort of uh, followers of Dr. Fauci uh, agree with everything that I've said here. Um, but yes, there is some division and you can always find uh, some doctor uh, who will uh, disagree <laughs> with the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin who will be pushing the vaccines, okay? But, you know, again, these to me are, are uh, the people that need to explain why we've killed, let's say, 500,000 Americans unnecessarily. Uh, you know, th there's, there's a lot of guilt that should be going around. You know, people know about Governor Cuomo in New York, uh, who's done some terrible things. Uh, and he's in my book also, by the way. Uh, as somebody who <laughs> has never shown any guilt for killing people, literally killing elderly people uh, by, by forcing people with uh, elderly people with COVID into nursing homes and assisted living. And by the way, I have worked in nursing homes and assisted living places. I know that uh, field very well. Um, so yes, uh, can you find contrarian views? Absolutely. And even now, 
especially about the vaccines. This is even more touching now, I would say, uh, because, the, again, the mainstream media has not let in uh, contrarian views about the vaccines, uh, which is very sad. So that, uh, you know, Dr. Zelenko, he was on a show recently, and he said, <clears throat> now some of his patients who've taken the vaccine are suffering from regret. <laughs> so now we have vaccine regret. Uh, I have a little bit of vaccine regret. If I knew uh, several months ago what I now know about you know vac these vaccines, I probably wouldn't take it. Okay, it's too late for me. I, 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 if they come out with these sort of third doses or, or uh, <laughs> booster doses of these vaccines, I don't think I would take it. Uh, I think there are now so much evidence and so many fine doctors who have raised doubts about the vaccine that people who are really well informed uh, should be hesitant about taking the vaccine. And many of them, if they're really well informed, I have, they shouldn't take the vaccine. I mean, they, should, they have a good case to make for, in their own minds why they, they should reject the vaccines. Again, especially if they're on the younger side and healthier side. Um, we now know which people are most vulnerable to very serious uh, COVID uh, effects. And by the way, you know, the biggest um, comorbidity with regard to COVID-19, it doesn't get talked enough about in the mainstream media. But we know statistically, it's obesity. And if you look at the very uh, smaller number of deaths from COVID among younger people, by younger, I mean people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, what you will see almost universally is that they suffer from obesity. And so we know that obesity is a really big problem. Uh, now, if you got early home treatment that I've talked about, uh, even if you were obese, you, you could get cured of COVID. But the point is, if you don't get treated early, if you get into a hospital and you are obese, uh, the odds go up that you will get very seriously ill in the hospital and possibly die in the hospital. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the sad situation. It is a sad situation. And so the... The study that I, I had, had that Dr. Corey was talking about, it was 800 doctors that took ivermectin that were working in hospitals. They were in this study. So they took ivermectin, uh, 800 of them. There were 400 that didn't take it and were working in the hospitals as well. They were, they were medical workers. And of the 800 that took the ivermectin, none of them came down with COVID-19. Right. Of the two of the four hundred, fifty-six percent of them contracted the virus. Yes, that 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 is typical kind of data. By the way, two of the most famous doctors in the U.S. who are on the treatment side, <laughs> a Dr. McCullough in Texas, and another doctor in California whose name escapes me for the moment, both of them went public and said they got COVID. And what did they do immediately? Sean, they took ivermectin. <laughs> they took ivermectin and they both 
of these famous doctors cleared up their COVID in less than a week, okay? So we had two doctors who went public, but here's an interesting situation. Very few doctors in the US are willing to go public and say that they've taken hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and successfully cured their COVID. Because as soon as these doctors go public, wow, the mainstream media and the social media hits them, okay? So this is the problem. Some of these doctors, especially America's frontline doctors, they have suffered terrible consequences from going out front. You know, most people have seen these videos. They were on the steps of the Capitol, I think in the summer of last year. Uh, and, you know, many of them uh, lost their licenses or uh, maybe they got them back at some point. But state authorities will, you know, went on these, hammered these doctors severely for going public about pushing the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And the worst thing that happened, by the way, it's a, it's a crazy story, is when President Trump went public and he, because he took hydroxychloroquine. And by the way, the background story that you don't know is why did he take hydroxychloroquine? Well, the fact is three doctors, including Dr. Zelenko and a couple of others that I know, they got access to the White House physicians and they shared their early data I'm again going back to March of 2020 when that data started to be collected. They shared their data with White House, okay? That's why Trump took the hydroxychloroquine. Because the data came from Zelenko and two other doctors. And it showed that hydroxychloroquine defeated COVID-19. It, it cured. So that's why Trump took it. The problem is he went public. And so what happened was you had all of these anti-Trump forces out in the real world and they went after hydroxychloroquine because it was a way to go after President Trump. But that was a lethal blow in a sense for hydroxychloroquine, even though, again, by the time Trump was taking it, it was being used not only by doctors in the U.S., it was being used by doctors around the world. Okay, uh, the data you cited for ivermectin, I have tons of data in my book. Same thing with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, every study that was used found that hydroxy worked to an incredible degree. Again, what's so funny to me, not funny, tragic, is that both hydroxy and ivermectin are more effective against COVID than the vaccines are. You know, even if you get a COVID vaccine, they're not 100 percent effective. They're maybe 90%, 95%, whereas hydroxy and ivermectin are more like 99% effective. So they're actually better than the vaccines. Uh, yeah, one of, it, it is crazy. So the lady, one of the frontline doctors that you're talking about is Dr. Simone Gold. And I've been yes. following her quite extensively. And she she is one of the ones that suffered. So it's really crazy. So you have you have the hospitals, which are have, you know, it's a bureaucracy, basically, right? They have, you know, heads of hospital, things go down from NIH, it filters through the, the hospital, um, 
I don't know the presidents and whatever, however they're structured, but it's the top of the hospitals. And then they won't, they issue those orders down to the doctors and the rest of the staff, right? Yes. Yes. They, the doctors in, in our world, whether they work in hospitals or for other organizations, they can't, they have to follow federal guidance. They have to, if, okay, they, so, if, if they don't want to get into trouble. Okay. Okay. So follow me here. Follow me here. All right. So you've got that right there. Most of these doctors get saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to get their, to get their education. Right. All right. And so, it's really crazy. Somebody explained to me once how crazy it is to become a doctor and how much money it costs you and all the different things that you're kind of handcuffed to once you go down that path. All right. So now you have all these bills that you got to pay for and you depend on that job because where else are you going to get a job? If you get blacklisted, no one's going to hire you. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, this is forced coercion. Yeah. Well, uh, what I want to point out is that statistically, a very small percent of physicians in the United States are what we call independent. That is, they have their own medical practice, and they're not a part of any large organization. The odds are most Americans, when you go to your regular doctors, even if they're specialists, they are part of a large organization. So the the doctors who belong to American Frontline Doctors and the other group that I mentioned, uh, AAPS, they are independent doctors. I don't think hardly any of the membership of those two organizations, and and by the way, Corey, Corey, who pushes ivermectin, he lost his job. He had a, a, a good job in an organization and a hospital. And he lost his job because of what he was doing, advocating ivermectin, okay? So now he's independent. But again, most of us ordinary people, we don't get to see independent physicians. Uh, Fareed in California, uh, Zelenko in New York, these are independent doctors. They are not members of any large hospital or healthcare organization. So they can do you know, whatever risk they want to take, they take it, okay? So that's why I say to you, in California particularly, where you are, uh, there are a fairly large, uh, you know, quite a few doctors still prescribing uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And they're getting away with it, okay? But they're independent doctors. They're willing to take that risk. And they're, by the way, statistics uh, I follow George Reed and his his colleagues. Their statistics are incredibly good. I mean, they save virtually all of their patients who have COVID symptoms or a positive test. They save them all, and they don't go to hospital. That's what's important. So they they keep doing what works, but they're independent physicians with their own private practice. Okay. That's what I want to emphasize. Okay. Uh, we have a bunch of comments that I'm going to get to. So if you've been out there, you've, you, you had a comment and I haven't pulled it up yet. I, I want to be able to get to what I want to talk about first, and then we'll run through some of those guys. So thank you for being patient. If you're still hanging out, waiting for me to uh, play your comment. So, I mean, if you really think you got you got to take a look at why 
all of these things, like if you telescope out and you just were to put on a board, like let's just let's say, say we're playing Risk, okay? Remember that board game about <laughs> about war? Okay, so you take all these different events, all right? Okay, well, this happened. You had, you know, the blocking this, which caused this, which more people to die. You've got the the PCR testing that was made so uh, so sensitive that anything would pick up for COVID-19. Right. Why yes. would those be manufactured in, in that such a way to amplify the amount of data that's being pushed out there as to, oh, my God, we've got 300,000 COVID-19 uh, whatever's today. And, and it's like, if I just, I just don't know why people are so, they just don't see what's, what's right in front of them. I mean, you start putting pins and all these different things and you start going, okay, well, one, why is, why would anybody want to try to kill our economy? Cause it really looks what they're trying to do is crush the United States from all sides. Well, let me give uh, maybe, in a sense, a little more positive spin on that approach. The reason they created the PCR test to create more cases, and that's what they did, by the way, was to create more fear in the American public, but also, and this is what I want to emphasize, to create more public demand for vaccines. When we talk about vaccines, we're talking about a drug industry that will make trillions of dollars from the production of COVID vaccines. Pfizer just came out a week ago saying how much money they're going to make in 2021 from vaccines. It was the biggest amount of money in the history of the company. Okay. So this is what was going on. And again, Fauci had a long history going back decades of working with drug companies. It started when he was involved with the AIDS epidemic and he has a very close relationship with drug companies. So when they killed the use of the treatment protocols and they increased the testing to get more COVID cases and created more fear, what were they doing? They were on a track strategically to create more, what they thought, public demand for the biggest money maker of it all, COVID vaccines, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, the, the wisdom of follow the money, <laughs> always follow the money. And the money was to be made, even by the way, cre crazy things were done. The, government, the federal government created a perverse incentive for hospitals to categorize deaths as COVID. Now, I'm a man and I have dealt with the worry about prostate cancer. And the old joke among urologists is that most men will die uh, with prostate cancer, but not from prostate cancer. And now the new joke is a lot of people are dying with COVID, but not solely from COVID. Now, COVID might be a, a big contributing factor, but they're dying because of COVID in combination with comorbidities like obesity and heart conditions, et cetera. So, but I, I have to say, follow the money. 
that that this idea what's going on now you have president biden basically coercing the american public to take the vaccine pushing vaccines on children this is the most obscene thing i have yet seen in this pandemic okay it's all about the money there's by the way doctors who are prescribing like the docs in in california that i know prescribing hydroxy and and ivermectin how much money do you think those drugs cost we're talking about not even $100 okay whereas you know <laughs> fauci was pushing a, a drug that's only used in hospitals called remdesivir $5000 a dose he was pushing that that became available in the summer of last year okay before the vaccines became available that was his intermediary step in creating a money maker <laughs> for the drug industry was remdesivir until the vaccines could get legally out there through emergency authorization not approval i want to emphasize and there are so many facts about these vaccines that are absolutely insane the testing they did on the covid vaccines they never tested them on elderly people with comorbidities okay they never they, the testing on the vaccines was done on healthy young people <laughs> that did not have any serious risk of having a serious case of of covid infection or death so everywhere you look everywhere i look i see insanity i see let me use the word corruption because that's the right word the system has been corrupted okay so that we're not doing what is medically sane and efficient and cheap we're doing what is questionable and we have caused again by dr mccullough's own estimate we have killed unnecessarily 500,000 americans you got to think about that by the way more people have died from taking the covid vaccines this is another interesting statistic more people have died after taking the vaccine than have died in the entire history of vaccines in the united states <laughs> it's it's hard to believe it's something like 4000 people now have died after taking the covid vaccine in the entire history of many many vaccines in the united states there has never been anything close to thousands of people dying from taking vaccines never the annual flu vaccine about 50 people a year die from taking the flu vaccine and by the way that involves hundreds of millions of of people taking the flu vaccine much more than those have taken the covid vaccine and yet we have an order of magnitude greater deaths two orders of magnitude greater deaths from covid vaccine than from all all the vaccines ever produced and used in the united states that's what's scary going <laughs> what's going on here it's and the I money it's the money it's the corruption and it's a lot it's a lack of medical ethics by the way there's an organization in europe and now peter mccullough has also come out and said this that what's going on violates the nuremberg 
protocol or what was it called? The Nuremberg after World War II, you know, we had the Nuremberg trials mm -hmm. and Nazi medical doctors were convicted because they did obscene, terrible things to people. And now we have doctors in Europe and Peter McCullough in the United States saying that what we're doing with these COVID vaccines is the same as what the Nazis did and were convicted of doing in the Nuremberg trials after World War II. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of things are amazing because you start looking at some of the things that are happening and, and the, the same stuff. There's a lot of parallels between what happened in, in Germany and what's happening here right now. You just mentioned one that I had no idea about, but there's also, you know, the fascism and how that kind of took the, the brown shirts and, and all that stuff that, you know, they use to kind of um, get get the Germans to tell on each other. Right, right. You know, right. the same stuff is happening here. Yeah. But now with the vaccines, the whole Nuremberg thing has come out anew because, again, so many of these doctors think that these experimental, and the, the word experimental, by the way, you don't see it in the mainstream media. <laughs> Every article you'll read about that mentions vaccine will not use the word experimental, okay? But they are experimental, okay? So the doctors are conducting an experiment with with as much of the population as they can get to take the, the vaccine. It's an so experiment. Let, so let's make this really clear. If you are the if you are somebody who has taken the vaccine, you are a part of a live study and you're the test subject. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it's a genetically engineered vaccine. What does genetically engineered mean? It means that the way they created the vaccines was by using what we call genetic engineering. It's, gen it's, it's fooling around with genes. They basically created a molecule and it looks like the COVID molecule. It has these spikes. Most people have seen these pictures of the spiked molecule. Okay, uh, it's actually on the cover of my book, <laughs> which has the picture of the spike molecule. But so they use genetic engineering to create a kind of artificial molecule to mimic the COVID molecule. And they put it into your body and it gets into your body. And now what we have is all these doctors around the world saying, how do we know? what a genetically engineered molecule that's flowing in your body, what will it do? And I have a lot of uh, references. Doctors are saying that if you, that you can create more disease through the use of these genetically engineered molecules, okay, that are in your body. So that's why I'm saying, um, I, I'm just doing a new article today and tomorrow where I'm, I'm citing all of these, uh, all of this work from physicians in Germany and in the U.S. saying, wait a minute, people, <laughs> you know, we don't know what the long term effects will be. And by the way, here's an interesting case. Why are some people having lethal side effects from taking the vaccine? And this is subtle, but it's real medical 
facts. People who already have natural immunity, maybe because they got the COVID-19 virus at some point, okay? So now they have natural immunity, or they just have great immune systems. And now they take the vaccine, whose only purpose is not to kill the virus, was to create a layer of immunity. And what we have are doctors now saying around the world, this is too much immunity. If you put in artificial immunity on top of natural immunity, you can really create problems. And that's why we're seeing people uh, having blood clotting problems. And this is happening around the world. Serious, serious problems from taking the vaccine. And again, why we see more deaths from the COVID vaccine than in the entire history of all previous vaccines. Scary, scary, scary stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so used to it. I deal with it every day. But, you know, yeah, it is scary. I have a, I have a follow-up that for a second, but I got to get to some of these uh, these questions. How much time do you got? Oh, for me, I have all the time you want. Okay, great. That's I love to hear that. All right, so we've got Tina Marie. She says, they didn't force everyone to get flu shots. Red flags raised because amidst the pandemic and our increasing debt in this country, there was a lot of unnecessary money being put into pop-up, into the pop-ups. There were more affordable alternatives. Um, so, well, even the flu, even the even the flu vaccine is not was isn't a hundred percent. I mean, no, no, no vaccine is a hundred percent, except for maybe no. polio and some of the 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 measles. I mean, some of those those earlier ones that have been around for a long time. But I mean, those aren't even nothing's a hundred percent. That's true. But I would say this, what, what McCullough was emphasizing uh, the other day uh, was that the flu vaccines are just safer, okay? They may not be 100%, they are not 100% effective. But what, what, what he is saying is based on the data we now have is that the flu vaccines are safer than the COVID vaccines. In fact, here's what McCullough said, and this is the most famous doctor in the U.S. in terms of pandemic medicine. He has said that <laughs> the kind of data we're seeing with the COVID vaccines would co- normally cause them to be taken off the market immediately by the federal government, by the FDA, based on historical things that have gone on. If you had hundreds of deaths, you'd take it off the market. If you have thousands of deaths, what Dr. McCullough is saying Without a doubt, you would take it off the market. So they're not taking the COVID vaccine off the market, even though historically, with these statistics, this vac- the COVID vaccines would be taken off the market. Okay? Why aren't they being taken off the market? Because they've gone down this road of, of this telling this story to Americans that the only way you're going to be safe in this pandemic is to take the vaccine. This is a lie. It is not the only way to be safe and healthy in this pandemic. And what I've said is taking early treatment protocols that cure and prevent COVID, the ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine approach, that is the alternative to vaccines. 
but the federal government under the influence of drug companies that will be making trillions of dollars from vaccines, the government is not willing to back down and the mainstream media is not letting not letting the government back down, okay? The mainstream media is in the pocket, not only of, of, of Fauci and the government, but they're in the pocket of basically, it turns out, the big drug companies, okay? And by the way, why have several articles about the use of hydroxychloroquine, why were they retracted from the two biggest journals in, in, in medicine, the Lancet in, in, in Britain and the New England Journal of Medicine here in the US? Two, both articles had to be retracted because they were found out to be fraudulent. Fraudulent data saying that hydroxy did not work. Why would medical journals publish these kinds of fraudulent articles? Okay, here's the hidden reality. Turns out that the big medical journals depend on advertising money coming in from big drug companies. So everywhere you look, you follow the money, okay? So the, the people who, the doctors who I cite, who have negative information about vaccines and positive information about hydroxy and ivermectin, they cannot get their articles published in the biggest medical journals. <laughs> because again, the whole medical establishment has been corrupted by the big drug companies, the pharmaceutical industry, as well as by the federal government. The whole, the whole, the whole system stinks. Yes. So, I mean, and it goes like, so, Big Pharma gives money to politicians for re-elections. That's where a big chunk of their money comes from, right? Yes. Then they give money to, you know, for advertising for these uh, mainstream media networks. You know, tons of advertising dollars are, are, are pushing uh, these, these media companies. And also, you're talking about that magazine, you know, th that there. So, I mean, this is, this is literally a strategic attack. Very strategic. If you really look at it, and you go, "Gosh, yeah. that that that's that's really crazy." And my 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 question is, it's like, oh, have you did you see Event Two Hundred One? No, no. All right, so Event Two Hundred One was a it was a, a uh and it was, it was they did it I think in November of twenty uh twenty nineteen, and it was the practice for what we've just went through you know how they sometimes uh, oh yeah, how they, yeah a simulation yeah it was a, it was a simulation before COVID 19 even came out and so if anybody's out there look it up uh, if it's still around who knows it's probably been purged by now but it was called event 201 and if you look it up you might be able to find it on uh, youtube and it's the exact simulation of what we just went through um with that being said we've got from Tina again, I wonder how many of us are immune or how they could test for that without any invasive work. You can, uh, there is testing. Uh, it measures your, in your blood, the level of antibodies and what they call T cells. Okay. So there is blood testing that can be done, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Cause I give you the truth. If you go to your normal doctor and you ask him, to 
order a blood test to measure the level of antibodies and T cells in your blood. The odds are your normal doctor won't do it. <laughs> and the government is not promoting this testing. So we have testing which actually measures what your immunity really is. And your immunity is measured by the level of your uh, antibodies and the level of your T cells, okay? So we have the testing. It's good testing, by the way. We know it can be done. Uh, it does cost some money, obviously. But who's going to uh, order this testing for ordinary people? I can only tell you, for anyone who's interested, try to get your blood tested for antibodies and T cells. And I'll tell you, the testing that has been done, one of the interesting findings, <laughs> and again, it sounds a little bit uh, crazy, that the people who have what I've called natural immunity, because they've already had some COVID infection and they've become immune, have higher levels of antibodies and T cells than the people who've taken the vaccine. <laughs> so in other words, the, the immunity is better if it's natural immunity than if it's artificial immunity that's created by taking the COVID vaccine. But there is wow. good blood testing. All right, great All right. to know. Is it going to keep changing with variants just like the flu did or does? It could. Now, this is what's interesting, too. So far, the testing in the U.S. seems to indicate that the vaccines that are being used in the U.S. anyway are seem to be effective, equally effective against most of the major variants. But there are new variants coming out all the time. So we don't know. I mean, that's one of the great unknowns about vaccines. And some of the vaccines, by the way, that are being used around the world there's a Chinese vaccine. There's a Russian vaccine. These are terrible vaccines. They don't even work. I mean, at least the vaccines being used in the, in the industrialized world have been better tested and they have better results. But variants create a big unknown. By the way, that's why, what is the government talking about now? That you're going to need a booster shot if you're, on to, if you're into taking the COVID vaccines. Six months from now, or a year from now, whatever, the government and the pharmaceutical industry will be pushing booster shots because their argument will be, well, we have new variants, and now to make sure you're safe, you've got to take even more vaccine, okay? So the idea that we take flu vaccines every year, they're going to be pushing the same idea for the COVID vaccine, either booster shots or an annual COVID vaccine shot, okay? The alternative to this, again, I want to emphasize, is either boost your natural immunity. And by the way, I have a protocol. It's in my book, and I get to push it in some venues. And this is a, a, a protocol based on four ingredients that are vitamins and supplements. And it's taking zinc and a supplement called quercetin, and vitamin D and vitamin C, those four together. And why they work, and they do work, is that they boost your, your natural immunity. It's a way to increase your natural immunity, 
not just to COVID, but to other illnesses and disease also. So we do have alternatives to the COVID vaccines, but I'll tell you, the pharmaceutical industry, all they see is money here. This is a this is the biggest money maker that may have ever been created uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. And you have the government now headed by Biden standing up and, and basically coercing the public. Uh, and now you have private companies. By the way, every day you read about another company saying, well, we don't want our workers to come back full time unless they've been vaccinated. You have schools saying they won't let the kids in unless they've been vaccinated. You have various venues. I heard that apparently sports stadium, there'll be one part of the stadium for vaccinated people, another part for non-vaccinated people. How are you going to prove whether you've been vaccinated? So you got the whole idea of vac- you know, passports for vaccination. Wow, this is interesting in terms of uh, freedom, uh, personal liberty and freedom. Uh, you have to prove that you've been vaccinated now if you go into a store or a stadium or a school or a, a, a private job. This this is getting worse and worse as time goes on. I want to bring up a name. Bill Gates. Yes. How does he fit in? How does he fit into this? He has <laughs> in in my world a very negative image. He has unfortunately spoken, I, I'm sure he regrets it now, but he has been he has gone on the record of talking about depopulation, reducing the global population, killing people basically. Well, I tell you, the pandemic is doing a great job. So people who are conspiracy oriented uh, have seen Bill Gates as as loving this pandemic, or now the word that has been coined is plandemic, not pandemic, but plandemic, that it's been planned to depopulate the world, because Bill Gates has openly talked about doing that, okay? I don't like the guy. He's certainly not a scientist. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Uh, He pushes a lot of things that I don't agree with. But by the way, the death toll globally is rapidly going above 3 million people, okay, Uh, rapidly, because things are not working uh, out well in many countries, including India right now. Yeah, that's uh, pretty scary, too. But he actually got kicked out of Africa in a couple of countries for what he was doing with vaccines for polio and for HPV, right? It it was actually what he was doing was – sterilizing the women (laughs) well i haven't followed that i must admit uh but again he's too close you know to sort of big pharma big industry and that's his orientation is making money so he'd be all for this uh global uh, use of the vaccines there's no doubt about it uh but again he might be for them because he knows what many doctors are saying in the long run and by the way, I actually have citations for this. I have doctors now saying more people may die from taking the COVID vaccine than from COVID itself. We have doctors now saying that publicly. Okay. You got to think about that. 
is that if if that's true, I mean, what we're talking about is is even more insane and corrupt than you can possibly imagine. Uh, yeah, anyway. definitely, definitely something to chew on. So Leslie Levinson says, thank you, Sean and Dr. Hirschhorn, for talking about this serious, important blunder, sharing the truth with the vaccination. If everyone would listen and read your book, I can't imagine how more crazy life is going to be. <laughs> well, yeah, all, all I ask for and what I hope for is for people to be better informed. And you're not going to get well informed if you get your news and information from mainstream media and from corporate social media. You're just not going to get the truth. By the way, I publish an article almost one a week now. I can only get my stuff published. Uh, I have three conservative websites that will publish my my articles. I don't even try anymore. I can't get published <laughs> on sort of big name kinds of uh, websites or publications. Uh, I'm, I'm much too controversial for that. But I have three great websites that publish my articles, and I'm publishing new articles. I think since my book has come out, I've published, I think, eight articles or 10 articles. And uh, because I keep trying to uh, get access to the best new information, and then I write articles using even information that is newer than what is in my book. But everything in my book is still valid, still applicable, I've had people tell me that in the last week. I did a podcast the other day, and she says, you know, everything, she read my book, and she said, everything in your book has been totally correct, and everything you've sort of forecast and predicted has come out to be true. And I think if people read Pandemic Blunder, you will get well-informed and well-educated, and you will realize that you've been cheated because you haven't gotten access to good information. I want to go back to the protocols that you mentioned and the quercetin and the zinc, the vitamin D and the vitamin C. So I've been taking vitamin D and C since the beginning of this thing. I've been taking, you know, I think 5,000 IUs or no, maybe even more than that um, of vitamin D and then 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C. I haven't, I haven't implemented the quercetin or the zinc. I'm going to be doing that shortly here, but why is the quercetin important? Explain that because I don't think people understand that if, even though you're taking all of these, you may be taking 10,000 or 15,000 IUs of vitamin D, but you're not getting all of it. Well, uh, uh, the role of quercetin <clears throat> is to get the zinc into your cells. And, and that's, that's what, uh, what, what Zelenko and other doctors discovered, and it was a really big discovery, is that they, they had to add zinc to the use of hydroxychloroquine because the trick was to get the hydroxychloroquine into your cells, okay? And it turned out the zinc did this. The zinc would get the hydroxychloroquine into the cells and make it work. Same thing, uh, people pushing ivermectin also push the use of zinc. Zinc turns out to have this uh, really uh, curative you know, uh, ability. So it's, it's very useful if it gets into your cells. The quercetin acts like hydroxychloroquine. 
but you don't need a prescription, okay? The quercetin gets the zinc into your cells. But the, the whole combination of those four ingredients, there's been a lot of research that vitamin D really is very uh, important. And, and we're talking about just boosting your natural immunity. I, I use that term again, natural immunity. So it'll help you fight not just COVID, but il- other flu and other illnesses and disease. So uh, quercetin turns out to be, by the way, that's an old supplement, been around forever, uh, safe, cheap. Uh, so the four together, I take a fairly large amount of vitamin D also. Um, trying to remember what I take a day now. I'm taking probably at least 3,000 IUs, maybe more. Uh, vitamin C, there's different forms of vitamin C. Uh, but yes, I, I think you need to take, I take at least 1,000 uh, milligrams of vitamin C a day myself. Uh, uh, so yes, this is just a, a natural, uh, you know, a vitamin supplement approach uh, to sort of uh, keeping high natural immunity. That's what it's all about. And I want to mention, too, that this is something you can do right now. You can start doing this and and, and taking these supplements right now. I've been to Utah so far since this pandemic started. I went to Utah. I went to Florida. just came back from there. I've been sick a couple of times, but I have not been super sick because I feel like the, the vitamins that I've been taking have made it very short like literally gone in, you know, I, I would start feeling it and then I would, you know, feel it for about a day or two and then boom, it started going away. So I think there's been a definite um, impact from doing that since the beginning of this thing. So I've been doing it for quite a while now. Um, I, and I would just say that, you know, this is, that's probably one thing that you can do. I mean, I'm not a doctor and I'm not, uh, you know, qualified to give medical advice, but I mean, and, 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 you know, there are some famous people, but not enough famous. Dennis Prager, who I think is a great conservative thinker, Dennis Prager, very uh, big uh, radio show and, and uh, I think a tremendous guy. But he has pu- said publicly he takes, again, the vitamins and supplements. I think he also has said publicly he takes ivermectin. And, and by the way, uh, if you can get access to uh, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, uh, you can stay on a very low dose uh, and take it for for a long time. They, they stay in your body. Uh, the thing about hydroxy and ivermectin, they stay in your body uh, for a long time. So you can take like one pill a week if you just want to be ultra safe. And, you know, if you can get access to those medicines, uh, uh, you will be, you know, again, uh, sort of protecting yourself from COVID uh, without necessarily taking a vaccine. Yeah, and I think ivermectin's a, an antiparasitic, right? It, that's that was its original use. Just like hydroxy, original use was fighting malaria. Okay, so they're interesting drugs. And by the way, there are some other uh, old drugs that that uh, some doctors are also using that I haven't talked about. But they're not the main ones. Uh, The thing is, uh, once you get, if you don't, I want to emphasize this. If if you do get COVID infection and you don't address it very effectively, very quickly in the first stage or phase, this is what they call, you know, virus replication. 
if it goes beyond that first stage, that's when you're headed to a hospital. That's when you start to get seriously ill. And that's when people usually die. You don't die from the first stage. The first stage is just where the virus builds up in your system. And that's why, though, if you address it quickly, and I go back to the history of medicine, what's the moral, ethical imperative for, for physicians is to act quickly. And that's what dealing with COVID is all about. So if you act quickly with the right uh, drugs, generic medicines or vitamins and supplements, you know, you'll be protecting your life. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm, thank you for coming on and, and talking to uh, me today and to my audience and the listeners and whoever's going to be checking into this uh, after this, after we go and, and we stop this, uh, this live stream. Uh, it's really important. And it's really important to, you know, get all the information and question everything, especially nowadays, you know, when you, when you see, mainstream media and you see all of these, um, you know, social media platforms and outlets steering sort of a narrative of something, you got to ask yourself why. And I know sometimes it's, it's, you know, uh, once you know better, you have to do better. I mean, at least that's what I would hope. Right. Um, but you know, ignorance is bliss. And I think that some people, um, you know, just stay stuck in this ignorant is bliss because they they're too afraid to see what what the answer may be on the other side all right all right yeah what's up ricky there's ricky verandas he said what's up sean and dr hirshhorn keep up the great work guys you too and if anybody out there yeah. doesn't uh, know who ricky verandas is he's one of the uh you know i would say that he's one of the most leading people that has uh been that i've been watching um having folks on his show he's got a uh a, a podcast called the ripple effect he's got tons of great guests on there he's got over about i think 300 episodes now so he's definitely a good place to go if you want information and uh the truth because he's not really afraid to talk about it yeah. uh the you the Union of the Unwanted on YouTube is done every other Monday, and that's a bunch of researchers that get together and, you know, researchers, podcasters, um, you know, uh, content creators, they get together and they just have a roundtable discussion about certain topics. This has been on there plenty of times. I mean, he's actually interviewed the guy from Plandemic and also Dr. Mikovich. Um, you know, all of these people that have been coming out about this from the beginning. Um, you know, I, I love Ricky Verandas. Uh, you know, he's definitely somebody that I look up to in this space. Yep. Yep. And Robert Page said, Ricky Verandas, great to see you. So, yeah, I mean, if there's nothing else, I mean, we could probably go on for, for hours <laughs> on this, but I got to take my daughter to the zoo today. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I got her for a few days, so we're going to go have a little bit of fun. Um, I appreciate you, uh, Dr. Hirshhorn, and uh, everything that you're doing. And, uh, you know, feel free to come on the show anytime you want. You want to, you know, got something you want to promote, feel free to hit me up and I will help you out as best I can. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Sean. Um, yeah. So, you know, Everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, you know, hope you got some good information out there uh, from this. I know that I did. And, uh, you know, uh, 
just got to keep up the good fight. Thank you. Get pandemic blunder. <laughs> yeah, get the pandemic blunder and check out America's Frontline Doctors.org. I have it uh, scrolling across the bottom there. Uh, that is a, a source that you can get uh, both of those uh, drugs that you're talking about. And also, they, you know, they're just, it's, Simone or Simone Gold is yep. definitely somebody who is, you know, not only is she a, a, a physician, but she's a lawyer as well. So, I mean, why would somebody want to come out and risk their careers in both if they didn't truly believe in what they were talking about? Absolutely. So you got to ask yourself those kind of questions. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Hirshhorn. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great uh, day. Thank you, sir. All right. So that was amazing, man. Uh, I'm so happy that I had him on the show and I'm going to be having another doctor on the show as well um, next week, I believe. And that is uh, Dr. Aida. Um, And he's another, I think, homeopathic uh, physician. And I'm going to have him on the show as well. And we're going to talk to, you know, a, a little bit more about this because, you know, I believe that the truth needs to come out. And the only way that we're going to fight mainstream media and all of the, you know, narrative controlling is beat them with our own media, you know, podcasters out there that aren't afraid to come out, uh, content creators out there that are not afraid to come out and speak about these things. Um, you know, I, I, I was really, I was on the fence about this. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I didn't, I've already been shamed for not being vaccinated for certain, you know, people, you know, want to come out, you know, and, and say that, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you're so irresponsible. And, and, you know, you keep following this, this propaganda on YouTube. Okay. But you're being fed propaganda too. If you're watching mainstream uh, anything that is propaganda. All right. So it just depends on what side of this propaganda do you want to be on? And if you're not informed and you haven't done any research and you haven't listened to, to, you know, credible sources, then you're just as bad, you know, and you can't say anything to somebody if you haven't researched it yourself. So, I mean, this is really disturbing. I have a, a almost four year old daughter who you probably hear a little bit in the background. Hey, baby. I'm almost done. All right. I'll be right there. Yeah. You can hear in the background, you know, she's getting ready to go to, you know, elementary school here at some point. And is that going to be a barrier to getting her in there now is, is, you know, having to have her vaccinated with the COVID-19 experimental vaccination. That's scary to me. And I don't, I don't know what I, I have no idea what to do because I don't have her full time. I, you know, her mom has her full time. She's been vaccinated and, you know, she follows all these things. So, I mean, this is going to be uh, uh, something that's going to probably cause a, some sort of a fight or a rift in, in, in that relationship. So I don't know, man, uh, scary times, but also, you know, the, it's inspiring times because I think a lot more people are starting to pay attention to what's coming on and what's going on out there and seeing the, the, the things that make you go, Hmm, that doesn't make any sense. You know, why, 
why would somebody who's a doctor uh, and and a, a lawyer? I mean, I know that there's a special kind of uh, schooling you can take to get both of those, but I mean, that's still an investment in time into something. Why would you risk it and just want to blow it uh, for nothing? That would not make sense to me whatsoever. So, I mean, there's got to be some truth to this. Uh, do your research. That's all I can say. And my next uh, broadcast will be um, next Monday. I got two lined up. A woman that's been to federal prison. Uh, she's going to tell her story as, and then this, I don't, I can't remember what the second one is. I haven't really looked over there, but two of them are going to be uh, happening on Monday. So stay tuned for that. Those will be scheduled. Check out my, uh, you know, Facebook profile page that has all the things that get scheduled and the schedule for the week uh, coming up. So I want to tell everybody, thank you again. If you're, you know, watching the show, you're, um, you know, supporting the show. Uh, definitely appreciate it and uh, look forward to doing more of these and trying to bring more truths out there because uh, if we don't do it who will as always keep it 100 stay true to yourself everything else is just noise You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.